Okay, so let me just introduce our guest preacher for the next four weeks. You heard about um, Eugene Kim last week, but just to remind you that he is a former pastor at High Rock, who is a sister church of our church, um, and in many ways has supported Cornerstone in the past, and is really supporting us now for the next month. Um, He's the founder right now of the New Wine Collective, which is focused on empowering people to co-create their own spiritual community wherever they are. And um, it was in planning Pastor Bill's sabbatical that uh, we thought it would be good to have a guest preacher in for a month so that the rest of us can do some other things that we need to catch up on and spend more time with you during this month. Um, So Eugene, thank you. We are grateful for you and welcome. Thank you so much, Pastor Linda. Good morning, everyone. All right, so first message speaking at a church is always kind of a vibe check, right? And is this a friendly crowd? Are you going to boo me off the stage? That was a test. You didn't laugh. Uh Uh-oh, you failed. Um, But it really is an honor, privilege to be with you over these next four weeks while Pastor Bill's away on sabbatical. And uh, just to get this out of the way up front, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, my family and I just had COVID. So my voice is usually not this rich, okay? Um, but not to worry because uh, I triple tested with two different types of tests, so I'm positive that I'm negative, okay? So, and so if you hear me cough or struggle to you know, get words out, that is the reason why. If you hear like a hacking cough somewhere uh, in the congregation, don't be alarmed, that's probably just my family. Um, just to introduce myself a little bit, uh, I grew up in the New York City area. Anyone from New York here? New York City, okay, all right, all five of us. And uh, Queens, Queens, okay, there's always somebody from Queens, right? Uh, but I grew up in New York City area. Uh, I also attended high school in Seoul, Korea. Anyone Seoul, Korea? Shout out, anyone? Great. Um, but then I came back to the United States, went to college and seminary here in Massachusetts, met my wife freshman year in college. Uh, we met an orientation, then we started dating a month later. Not recommended, but it worked, you know. And uh, we got married. We now have three wonderful children. Uh, and the important thing to know about me, uh, as I'll just share a little bit more each week as we, um, as we progress here, but I've been in church ministry for over 25 years. Um, pretty much worn every hat there is in local church ministry. And the last church I served at, uh, I was there for 17, over 17 years. Uh, But in 2020, March exactly of 2020, I left my role, stepped down from my um, role in church, and I started this nonprofit organization in order to reimagine how we do church from the ground up. Uh, And why? Because I love the church. I love the church so much that I think we can do better, that I think we need to do better. Uh, I don't know if you're aware, but Christianity itself is in the midst of a massive massive upheaval and change. And so I've spent the last two-plus years in study, conversation, and ideation about what the next iteration of Christianity might look like. And so basically what I want to let you know is I've been thinking about church non-stop for the past three-plus years. And so when I was invited to preach here at Cornerstone for four weeks, sorry, you're stuck with me, guess what I'm going to talk about? Come on, guys. Thank you. 
And so throughout this month, I'm going to be sharing a short, just a four-week series titled Together. And we're going to be talking about what it means to be the church, and most importantly, what it means to be the church together as one body, which these days is not something we can take for granted. It's not easy. Uh, Our society is more divided and polarized than ever, and churches are no exception. Over the past few years, a tsunami of hot-button social issues have come to the forefront, like racism and gender and sexuality. And you add politics and nationalism and COVID science and climate change and new reports of church scandals and abuse about every few weeks, and I can go on and on. I think it's fair to say that it's a pretty chaotic and confusing time to be a Christian, right? And as a result, many churches are struggling. Many people, particularly younger generations, are leaving the institutional church in droves. And many of the Christians who are hanging in there have been left wondering, are we really together? I mean, I thought we're on the same page, but maybe we're not. Maybe we're seeing things very differently. How can we be together when we come from such different experiences with such different values and underlying assumptions? But disagreements aren't the only obstacle to being together. Modern life has simply made it much more difficult to be in spiritual community, much more difficult than ever. We are busier, more isolated, and more preoccupied by mindless entertainment than ever. Our culture has created this relational wasteland. And many of us want to be together, but we literally don't know how to do it. Raise your hand if you're socially awkward. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. When it comes to developing meaningful relationships, we as a society are literally out of practice. And the pandemic has only made things worse. Nowadays, even if people know they want and need spiritual community, the reality is that many of them no longer see church as the best place to find it. A number of years ago, a Barna research study asked non-Christians to describe Christians. And the words most frequently used were helpful, sweet, kind, No, of course not. Unfortunately, the words most frequently used were, you you can guess, right? Judgmental, hypocritical, closed-minded, insensitive, too critical, and political. And this was several years ago. Can you imagine what they might say now? I believe the way of Christ is the hope of the world, and the church is the very body of Christ, which means we're supposed to be his hands and feet, right? We're supposed to embody a way of living, loving, and serving in the world that offers healing and hope. But it seems pretty clear that that is not happening in the ways that it should and as often as it should. So what are we missing? Or perhaps even, what are we doing wrong? That's the question I've been wrestling with over the past few years. I believe the church is in dire need of reformation and renewal. But sometimes the best way forward is to go back to the beginning, to get back to basics. 
And so we're gonna be going back and spending, spending some time learning what it means to be the church from the very first church written about in Acts 2. So we're gonna spend a lot of time in this chapter and some of you might be wondering why. I mean, haven't we come a long way since the first century? Uh, yes, in some ways, but I would say in others, it seems more like we have lost our way. Consider this. These early believers had no buildings, no budgets, no professional pastors, musicians, or production teams, no seminaries, no denominations, no church planting networks, no books, no conferences, no podcasts. Yet somehow, they grew and multiplied exponentially. They had something powerful and compelling that people were drawn to despite persecution and literal threat of death. The way they did church was simple but it started a movement that changed the course of history. So I want to invite us to look at this passage together, and we're going to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And by the end of these four weeks, you're going to know this passage forwards and backwards. <coughs> Excuse me, I just coughed right into my mic. I shouldn't do that that way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we read this passage, it might be easy to think, man, this church was perfect, right? Sounds amazing. But of course, they weren't perfect. We see in the rest of Acts and later in the epistles, they had sins and problems and disagreements just like any of our churches today. Yet, they experienced something truly powerful. Something that I believe many of us long for. This is an, an example of what a church can be. And perhaps it might challenge us to ask ourselves, what kind of church can we be? So let's dive in, take a closer look at what this community was like. And the first thing we see is that they devoted themselves. In, in modern language, the word devoted might not have that much of a, you know, heavy ring to it. It kind of sounds sentimental, but the Greek word here for devotion has gravity to it. It, it. There's a seriousness to it. It means to persist, to persevere. It means adhere and steadfastness or commitment. In other words, this wasn't just fleeting feelings or something done out of convenience. Uh, they were serious. For them, being devoted meant that they were committed. They reordered their priorities. They reoriented their lives around this new reality. And what were they devoted to? Simple. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I want to point out that it's easy for most of us to think of teaching and prayer as 
very spiritual activities, right? They're very devotion-worthy. But it's interesting to note that fellowship and the breaking of bread make this list too. Just think about that. Having fellowship and eating together were spiritual activities on par with prayer and the apostles' teaching. Right? Saying, I devote myself to the scriptures and to prayer sounds a lot more spiritual than I devote myself to hanging out with my buddies on Wednesday nights. And for those of us who've been in church for a long time, that might sound kind of frivolous. But what if we're actually missing something essential about what it means to be the church? Generally, I'd say churches like Cornerstone probably do okay in terms of being devoted to teaching and prayer, but what if we have undervalued fellowship and the breaking of bread? The second thing we see is incredible generosity. Not only were there signs and wonders by the apostles demonstrating God's power, but there were equally miraculous feats of generosity. And when we read things like they had everything in common, that they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Let's be honest, we might have a little bit of a reaction. We might feel a little nervous and think, well, that sounds a little weird, right, or extreme. But what if we're the weird ones? Again, what if we're missing out on something essential about what it means to be the church? What if we're the ones doing it wrong? To be clear, I don't think the believers in Acts were just carelessly giving stuff away because they didn't like their stuff. It's more likely that this was the natural product of deep and genuine loving relationships. They were in such authentic community and fellowship with one another that sharing what they had and helping each other in need is just the obvious thing to do. 1 John 3 says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's obviously a rhetorical question. Remember, in this community, strangers and former enemies were becoming family. And they were simply doing what loving families do. They share with one another in need. So it makes sense, right? It says every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Right? It's this, describing this rich community. They came together every day and broke bread in each other's homes. So, of course, they're willing to sell possessions and share with one another in need. And of course, they had every reason to praise God with glad and sincere hearts. As Paul might put it, they were devoted to one another in love. Can you imagine a community like that? But they weren't just an insular group of people that were all about themselves either. They met together daily in the temple courts meaning they were out in the center of public life. They weren't hiding away in secret. They were out where all the people and all the action was. They were engaged with their neighbors, and so, of course, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a community like that? 
Who wouldn't want to be a part of a community with so much love and so much generosity and, and joy? This is what church can be. Not just a service you go to, but a community that has the power to transform lives. A community that has the power to transform the world. And they did it without projectors and haze machines and celebrity pastors. They did it through something much more potent. A simple, loving community devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. It wasn't fancy or outwardly impressive, but it was real. Isn't that what so many people today are longing for? Something real. You might think it's awesome that the early Christians got to meet every day in each other's homes and they devoted themselves to fellowship, breaking of bread. But what about us? We can't do that. I mean, we have jobs, classes, we have families to take care of. We live far away from each other. Gas is so expensive now. I work hard, pay my taxes, I have to think about the future. I can't just give away what I have. All these are valid concerns. We live in a drastically different context from the early church, so uh, I don't think that there are easy answers. Our churches may look very different from the one in Acts 2, but there are still some valuable lessons that we can learn from them. In fact, in many ways, I believe this picture of the church in Acts may be even more relevant to us than ever. The call to be the church is going to be radical and countercultural, no matter what day and age it is. The question we have to wrestle with is, what does it mean to be the church in our culture and our context? How do we live radically relational lives in such an over-busy, transient, individualistic, and consumeristic culture? Sometimes it feels like the odds are stacked against us. We live in a culture that idolizes independence. In fact, that's the whole goal of life, right? So that I can be independent. I don't have to rely on anyone. But one of the significant downsides to that is that we, as a society, are getting worse and worse at relationships. According to Gallup, over 40% of Americans admit to frequent feelings of intense loneliness. So it's not just you. Our lives are becoming increasingly isolated from one another by distance and lack of any margin in our schedules. And many of us sacrifice our own spiritual vitality by giving 110% of all that we have to our careers, personal ambitions, or even to our own nuclear families. We're also the most transient generations that have ever lived, which makes deep and lasting relationships even more difficult to develop. Nowadays, people move from church to church, from city to city, never staying with people long enough to develop the kind of meaningful relationships that can sustain us over the long haul. And so no wonder so many of us are so lonely. We live in a society that is more individualistic and consumeristic than ever, and like a fish unaware of the water it's swimming in, we can be just as unaware of how much we are shaped and conditioned by our culture of superficial self-gratification, 
surrounds us. We're bombarded with marketing and entertainment, selling us products and services 24-7. And before we know it, even church becomes just another brand or product to consume rather than a community of people to love. But the church is not a product. It is not a company. It is not a mall or department store or entertainment venue or social club or extracurricular activity. The church is completely unlike any of these things, yet we can be so used to being the customer or critic it can be hard to shift our mindset. There are only a few times in the Bible we ever see Jesus getting really angry. And John 2 is one of them. In John chapter 2, Jesus encounters some marketeers who are exchanging money and selling animals for sacrifice at the temple, which might not seem like such a bad idea at first. After all, they're just giving the people what they wanted. It was a convenient, practical service. Instead of hauling your animal with you on a long journey, you could just show up and buy one right at the temple. So what's the big deal? Apparently, Jesus thought it was kind of a big deal. Why? He gave us a big clue when he said, stop turning my father's house into a market. Ah, it's not a market. It's his father's house. In other words, it's a home, which means it operates under a completely different set of rules and expectations. Imagine if you invited me to your home for a meal and we're gathered around your table with your family and, and then I start to complain that the food is taking too long or that the food was too bland or that there was only one thing on the menu. We all know that there's something inherently wrong because it's not a restaurant, right? It's family dinner. The rules and expectations of a home are completely different. Yet many of us come to our father's house, the church, not as family members, but as customers at a restaurant. We want the church to serve us and meet our needs. We want the music to be good, and to suit our preferences. We want the sermons to be funny and engaging and challenging, but not too challenging. We want free snacks. We want service opportunities that won't interfere too much with our schedules. And of course, we want them to be rewarding and fun and have interesting people that we can meet. We want the church to provide us with friends, preferably people in our age bracket from a similar background so we don't have to make so much effort. When I was pastoring in my church, people would occasionally reach out. They'd ask us to help find them a small group, to which we would say, sure, we'd be glad to help. Uh, there's one near you that meets on Wednesday nights. But the person might say, nah, that doesn't really work for my schedule. Well, then how about an early morning group? Nah, I'm not really a morning person. Well, how about this group that meets here? Mm, that's kind of out of my way. Well, how about starting a group that meets on the day and time that works for you right where you live? Nah, I guess you just don't have anything for me. Boy, this church is really hard to get plugged into. Like, I get it. You know, it's hard. It is hard. But maybe we can meet halfway, right? Being products of our culture, we might treat God and church the same way we might treat Google or a gym membership. 
We are happy to let it play a role in our lives, but ultimately we're in control. We are the user. We settle for keeping church in the category of superficial and compartmentalized religion. We come to get our emotional fix or spiritual insight for the week while our lives stay largely unchanged. But Jesus invites us and calls us to much more than that. The church is different from Google or your gym or any product or service you can buy, right? Google doesn't love you. You use Google and Google uses you. That's not a relationship. That is a mutually beneficial contract. But being the church is fundamentally different. Church is not a company. It's a community. The church is the body of Christ, right? It's filled with his spirit. Church can be a place where we laugh and celebrate, where we mourn, we cry together. It's where we can make mistakes and get angry at each other, but also learn how to love and forgive. It's where we can serve and discover more of who we are. It's where we learn how to take risks and face hardship with faith and courage. It's where we can be challenged to lay down our own comfort and safety for the sake of others. It's where we can be vulnerable and let our guard down. It's where we can practice understanding and compassion for others and for ourselves. It's where we can find purpose in the world. And it's where we can find acceptance and belonging and family. Can Google do that? The early Christians obviously found it easier to be devoted together because it's first century Palestine, right? Everyone already lived and worked near each other and nobody ever went anywhere. We are going to have to accept the fact that building authentic spiritual community and relationships in our day is going to require some extra effort, perhaps even some creativity. If you're looking for relationships that will never be awkward and won't require any effort and be, can be squeezed into your busy schedule whenever it's convenient for you, good luck. But if we are willing to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer, then we might have a chance at experiencing something special. It might not be flashy or big, but it will be true. It will be real, and it will be deeply satisfying to our souls. Because that's what genuine love is like when we experience it, right? It feels like safety. It feels like home. What would it look like for Cornerstone to be devoted together to creating the kind of spiritual community that feels like home from the moment you walk in? What would that look like? What might it look like for you to devote yourself to building that kind of community? The answer is going to look different for each of us. Some of us are just extroverts and really good at connecting with others. Some of us, like myself, are introverts and a little on the shy or awkward side, and that's okay. That's what being an authentic community is all about. I actually love awkward moments. It means we're doing real life, right? It means broken, imperfect people are coming together. If you spend too much time alone or too much time studying or working like I do, you might be missing out on the growth that can only happen in community. 
So how might you devote yourself to being together with others? For some of us, that might mean taking some first steps towards developing new relationships. For others, it might mean figuring out how to take a step deeper in the relationships you already have. Some of us may even need to reprioritize some things in our lives in order to make room, to make space for spiritual community and friendships. On the flip side, my guess is that for a congregation like this one, hashtag very Asian, um, there might be some of you for whom coming to church as consumers isn't really the main problem. Rather, it might be the crushing burden of guilt, duty, and obligation you bring with you to church, which can be just as spiritually damaging. Some of you, some of you are overfunctioners. You know who you are. You just need to chill out and practice some better boundaries. What would it look like for you to rest and receive instead of just giving and running on empty all the time? Whatever it looks like for you, what is one step God might be inviting you to take this week? Invite someone to coffee or a meal. Organize a potluck. Plan an activity or an outing with others. Maybe invite someone new. You know, you guys are having a picnic after service today. If you were kind of on the fence, show up. I won't be there, but I think it's going to be a great... No, I would love to, but we have previous plans. I want you to know that devoting yourselves to be together in fellowship is deeply spiritual work. It might even be the key to being the kind of spiritual community that is truly winsome, nourishing, and life-changing. And I'm going to be really honest. It has very little to do with the stuff that happens up here on stage. Just like we saw with the believers in Acts, it has everything to do with the love, connection, and togetherness that's happening among you on a daily basis during the week. I want to give us just a few moments to listen to God in prayer and to respond to whatever invitation God brings to our hearts and minds. And then Pastor Hojin will come forward to lead us in Holy Communion. So I invite you to just bow your heads and uh, open your hearts and minds to God in, for just a few moments and Pastor Hojin will come up. Father, in your masterful plan to bring about your will and your kingdom, all of your promises to be fulfilled, you wanted to use ordinary people like the original disciples. And just like Pastor Eugene shared with us, they didn't have anything particularly special other than the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, their devotion to you, God, and to one another. We also thank you that in Jesus, we see that there was a tremendous cost for community to be formed. That in the cross, that is how you brought about this new family, this, this experience of new creation in Jesus Christ. And as people who follow Jesus, as people who want to make you known in this world, 
You have called us to stick to one another, to care for each other in very real and tangible ways. And at the same time, we recognize that so much of the world, the messages that we hear, so much of what we see, so much of what we are tempted to think, guide us otherwise. But may we be a community that really pictures that good news, gospel message of Jesus Christ. So strengthen us, even through this bread and juice that we're about to take. We know that it will not sustain us for our entire days, but as a symbol, we ask that you would strengthen us, you would guide us, you would convict us and lead us to bring about real change, real action in our lives so that we can live out what we just heard. So be with us, God. We depend on you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.